This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Let me just set up here a second, really ready to go on the Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law, with 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melton Law won't back down. All right. Um, just a few things here to report on are kind of interesting to go follow-up stories to begin with that are, I don't know, kind of, well, anyway, be that as it may, I covered yesterday the concept of a collective. And in case you missed that, let me just run it by for you. I have a printout I just made here, which is the guide to collectives around the nation. Now, a collective is a donor-led pool of money that is uh, independent of the university. That should give you some pause. Independent of the university, I pulled this off of um, uh, 1-3 guide to NIL collectives in case you want to take a look at it. The purpose of this is to pool funds from boosters and businesses and help facilitate NIL deals for athletes and also create their own ways for athletes to monetize their brands. And every Power 5 school is going to have one if they want to stay alive and competitive. We'll have at least one, and this leads to the question, you know, I think you can have more than one collective, NIL-related collective. So well, right now, just to give you kind of a snapshot of what a collective is and where they are, Arizona has one. Uh, this is a collective that will initially will assist football players only. Uh, as we predicted, the football players are the big uh, dog on the block. They want they created all the money. It we, it's going to be a collective um, founded by Blueprint Sports. And it's a former guy uh, is on a student body president. A lot of people will be getting in on the act here. Uh, the key investor is the Andre Agassi Foundation for Education. Can you believe it? And it will facilitate monthly community engagements for football players, for which they will be, of course, handsomely um, rewarded. Now, in Arizona, they have a collective. And the buzz about that collective is it will be mostly assisting men's basketball players since Arizona and basketball are rather synonymous. So there will be possibly, if the way I read this and interpret this, collectives for individual sports. Not one collective, one big collective, as heretofore I was sort of thinking it would be, which would then be subdivided into who wants the most money and the women would get the 
uh, least, of course, because they draw the fewest returns on the money. And that would jeopardize Title IX. But here, I guess it's possible, probable maybe even, essential maybe even, for each sport to have its own collective. So what makes me think about this, I'm in the process of researching this and sharing it with you, my students, is this in Arizona focuses on assisting men's basketball players. Once again, the supporters will be alumni, local businesses, these type of things, who will be also the branding agency. In Auburn, <clears throat> they've got a collective that is being run by a former baseball player. And that is going to be uh, helping student athletes earn compensation for their brand. Uh, FIU has one. I'm just going to quickly run down through these because uh, these are rather interesting. The Florida baseball player, Eddie Roja and Kelly Roja have one, a collective. Apparently, I don't know whether it's for baseball or the whole nine yards. Jason Bergman has a collective called Market Price Florida that will disperse donations on a rolling basis and pay Florida athletes to promote the local businesses. Florida State has a couple, Rising Spear and Warpath. This is all according Georgia has one called the Classic City Collective. If um, Gonzaga has one, now Gonzaga will be for, understandably, basketball players. I'm just running through these a little bit to try to get the sense of what we're talking about here, which is rather interesting. Each big group is going to have to have a collective, it appears, to support it and promote its interest and to lure its athletes. Now, in the news today is something that is the first indication of what we're going to be up against if we want to compete. The Tennessee Vols have apparently, and this is, of course, being covered by a number of outlets. Um, this one here, which I uh, took a look, Gainesville Sun has picked up on it. Some others have picked up on it. Let's go through and talk about it. And they're picking it up off the wire. <clears throat> is the, the Tennessee Vols have apparently got a quote-unquote five-star quarterback. Are you ready for that? I hope you're sitting down. I hope you're – let me just check and see if people have had their morning coffee, if they're ready for this. Um, $8 million in a collective for an individual player. And this fellow is apparently absolutely essential to winning. His name is Nico Emilivia. The fellow is 6'5". He's still a junior, as I understand it, in high school. He has been given the red carpet treatment, according to a couple of the versions of this story that I've read on various outlets. Jetted in with his family to Knoxville. Just still a kid, if you will. And uh, this is going to be paying Lama Liva, Olivia to sign with the volunteers. And the tab on this, and there's some secrecy surrounding it, but it's around eight million bucks. Now, uh, some secrecy. Nobody's really confirming or denying that it is this Emilivia guy. But apparently, uh, this is the going to the highest bidder to the college that has the most money to enhance this kid's brand to give him a return 
on his talent. The demand for the five-star quarterbacks far, far exceeds the availability of so-called five-star quarterbacks. And <clears throat> this guy is a high school junior already. Now, he gets, as I understand the details of this, that as they've trickled out, he'll get $350,000, quote, unquote, signing bonus uh, to come to Tennessee. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of these details, because I'm just beginning to research it. And it's just beginning to be uh, cleared up on a number of outlets, 247 Sports and some other places, ESPN. And uh, this is a sign that many people feel that civilization has truly come unglued. That, that resonates, that sort of comment has been coming to my ears from different places more and more uh, recently. I, I have a good friend who is very, very high up in the world, if you will, of influence. And, and um, it, it, just, it just stuns him that he's not sure of anything anymore. And this is where we are. Uh, seems a civilization, maybe, if there has been anything close to it, has lost its mind. It is a um, basically essential to doing business now. The basketball world, the, the uh, uh, college athletics, and if it's true that a collective is available for each sport and that's the way it will be done, then that also introduces an interesting concept of whether or not we'll have a level playing field in the world of athletics, because you take a school like South Carolina ladies basketball, which already has a rolling head start, and you'll see that Florida will have to do some catching up with its collective. Now, on the other hand, let's take Florida baseball. If, evidently, if it's going to have a collective, especially for baseball, is going to be able to raise quite a bit of money because apparently, from what I'm told, the $65 million tab on the new Florida baseball facility is completely debt-free and was paid for primarily by private money. So we've got millions of dollars out there from people who have more money than they have sense, apparently, who want to give it to the collectives. In this case, it was a prior collective, I suppose, and created the baseball field. Now, one of the things that the collective claims it's doing is distributing money then through the player who then has to commit to going out and supporting a charity of the collective's choice. So there's some give and take on this deal. You just don't get the money and run. You get the money with some obligations to do uh, things in return for those who put the money up for the collective. It is most fascinating to uh, think of all this and its implications. And I'm going to continue to look into it and talk to my friends who are involved with the University Athletic Association, many of which are, as you might imagine, totally against this. But it's also following up on a conversation I had with a high school, uh, Florida High School Association executive who told me about two months ago that this collective business was also going to be invading, if you will. I'm not sure what the proper verb is here, 
I won't say corrupting unless you're a purist and you believe there really are such things as amateur athletics, but it would be affecting, let's put it that way, A-F-F-E-C-T, A-F, effect is the verb, effect is the noun. It would be affecting high school athletics. And it seems now we have proof we have the smoking gun of that. The collective has indeed affected high school athletics. If you take into account that one Nico Lama Libya, still a junior in high school, has been promised $8 million to sign as a quarterback for Tennessee. 350,000 of which he gets, according to one report I read, immediately. And that means he's got 350,000 while he's still in high school, as I understand it. Anyone out there who's studying this as this is a developing story, please chime in. We're going to have a phone line, we're pretty sure hooked up and ready to go, possibly by Thursday, no later than Friday. And we will be going to a hot phone line where at designated moments, we will open up this phone line and you can reply to us on the phone. Of course, I'm watching now as I can, whatever develops here on the Facebook chat lines. So we're developing a phone line as another service to you and the community as we continue to try to be helpful in the community in keeping you informed. And we appreciate uh, the people who donate to the Fort Scott Files all of which, unless they choose to be revealed by themselves, we keep anonymous and they donate. There are quite a number of people who are don't want to sponsor because they're afraid that the cancel culture will come along and throw a brick through the window, but they will donate. So, and we keep those people, unless, as I say, they want people to know who they are, uh, confidential. So it's it's all about giving back to the community in a way by plowing what you give us back into the product to try to enhance it and make it better. So, and a lot of the expenses we encounter, as you know, are when we get stonewalled by a government agency trying to keep us from getting the public records, et cetera. So that's my story follow-up right now on what you may hear as the NIL, which stands for Name, Image, and Likeness. Now, the Name, Image, and Likeness Collective is the organization that banks the money, if you will, from private sources to then be paid out to a player they think will make a significant difference. The most notable of which right now is this guy, Nico Lamalivia, who's 6'5", 195 pounds, and apparently can throw the football like a dart, 100 yards, whatever. So this character, apparently is coming out of a Tennessee football collective. Now, for which $8 million might just be pocket change. And apparently from what I'm learning from 247 Sports and some other uh, sources is that there will be or can be collectives for every sport. And that will be supported by perhaps the same people that support the football collective will support the it's a way around accountability for really it's a way around some people argue what's been going on all along. There's a recent testimony by Fred Taylor. I guess it's true. I don't know. Nobody knows whether it's true, but he said it that he was offered $50,000 by Georgia to come and play for Georgia. He came to Florida. There's a, the cynical side of athletics in, in college 
and heretofore it stayed out of high school, except I know that players would be robbed from districts and moved to school districts in order to play for teams. But the money now has really come down into the high school level, as my friend from the Florida High School Athletic Association said it would. And um, there you are. So, so these collectives apparently can be gathered up money for each individual activity. And all it is, is private money. It gets around accountability, as far as I can tell. The sky's the limit. Nobody seems to have any idea about how to say enough is enough or that's too much. There doesn't seem to be too much. If this is the case, then we have a runaway uh, mercantile world for us athletics. We already see it in pro athletics. And basically, we have changed amateur athletics, as at least many people see it this way, into pro athletics. because. We know the ridiculous prices that are given people to play baseball and some incredible, incredible deals there. And they don't even have fans in the stands. It's coming off of television contracts, which have been losing kind of their luster. I, we don't know how long that can go on, but we have certainly the case of the same thing in the NFL, which doesn't seem to be even close to losing its luster because it, I think of the inherent violence in the sport. It's extremely violent. People love it. The more violent, the more they love it, the more they're attracted to it. So it is um, something, you know, that this happens. William Faulkner has a story that he published years ago. I found it when I was researching, in, which I used to love to do, in the Florida University of Florida Library stacks, what they call stacks, where all the real raw data is kept in an unglamorous way. And it's very quiet there in the stacks. It was when I was there. Wonderful place to go. Sun coming in through the windows. Nobody to bother you. You had to be an upper class person or have some sort of credential to get into the stacks. But I remember reading a story that was published in the Times Picayune in New Orleans before William Faulkner was very well known as who he became, of course, a Nobel Prize winner. He uh, wrote for the Times Picayune. And he wrote and published a story called Innocent at the Hockey Rink. And he was completely befuddled by why everybody tolerated so much violence in hockey. You know, in hockey and ice hockey, they let you fight. They, they stand by and the referees let you slug it out. That's one of the big draws. And the bashing of people up against the plexiglass shields in front of the spectators, nose on the glass, is one of the great attractivenesses to hockey. It's just absolutely ka-chunk, kapow. And the hockey players, the only thing I ever heard said about them, I heard said by an NFL football player, as we were discussing the violence in respective sports of hockey and NFL, and the only thing he noticed was that the hockey players were not as big as the football players. They were actually just as violent perhaps more, but they were not as big a person. You don't see the big, big uh, people in hockey that you see in football, which now is not unusual all to see somebody over 300, 350, 6'5", 6'6". So you're talking about a lot of human beings. This is attractive to people. They, the, the jury is trying to figure out whether or not the fans will, let's just take Florida Field, will continue to come to the University of Florida football games, knowing that what they're watching is made up of people 
that have been bought by private uh, collectives. So I suppose it really won't matter to them if the game is thrilling, if it's a cliffhanger, and if it raises the pulse and the blood pressure of excitement. I don't think they'll probably mind as long as the hoopla and the promotion is basically the same. That is, we are the boys from old Florida or whatever it is now. It used to be boys. They may have changed it because we were a boys' school, and that's why it said boys. So that's uh, that's the follow-up on, for right now anyway, it's certainly not going to be the last word, I don't suspect, on what you'll become very familiar with, which is the name and likeness, NIL collective, where the money is gathered up and then distributed. And I think the, uh, the people who put the money up in the collective are the ones who decide, not the university, not the university. They, the fans will decide if this is the person they want to buy and pay for and come and watch. And if that's the person that's going to, because it's a big return on this. Let's take, let's, 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 let's imagine this Nico Lamalivia doesn't get hurt. He's everything they say he is. And he takes them to the championship. And they win the national championship. A financial return on that investment of $8 million to him is, I don't know, I'm sure, exponentially greater. So there you are. It is a strict, you know, business as usual, out in the open now, one might say. The other local story, which is very interesting and befuddling to those of us who have been watching him for quite a while, is the story about one Rodney Long. We're breaking the story now. Nobody else knows this, to our knowledge. Of course, we know these things way ahead of time because of the tremendous talent of our data investigator, one Mark Glazer, who has broken open all the voting irregularities. I can't say voter beep, but I think I can get away with voter irregularities locally. This uh, sit down for this, please, because I want to let you know, and I think we have the letter I, know, I guess we put, we'll put this probably on more top bulletin board. I guess it's worth we're putting in there. I have a copy of it in my hand. It is stamped, received by the Division of Elections. So we have the ability to get pretty close to, if you will, the accurate documentation. Unlike a lot of things you'll see in the Gainesville Sunset, I back it up with documentation, or I tell you, it's my opinion, of course, I always footnote that without never wrong. And you know up ahead of time, this is something that is uh, Professor Warthog's opinion. And this is something that is really fact, independently observable. Well, fact is that which is independently observable by two or more dis, uh, un, uh, witnesses that don't know each other. So Rodney Long here has on letterhead that reads, Rodney Long, a voice for the people. And April 5th, 2022, this is now currently April 12th, he wrote a letter to the Department of State, the Division of Elections, Bureau of Election Records. Are you ready for this? Now, Rodney Long has been a Lachua County Commissioner. He's running right now against Keith Perry. He lives out on near the racetrack on Monioco Road 
and right down the street from his buddy who had the Purple Palace. Um, that Rodney Long is the one we're talking about. With the same Rodney Long who mysteriously quit in the middle of a term, a county commission term, which pays 85000 a year. We suspect it's because of the heat we had on him as we were chasing him. Because Rodney Long has been known to, and you can check it out, use campaign do uh, donations to get his clothes pressed, to get his clothes taken to the dry cleaners. And I know a couple of people here who are nice people, very naive people. They're nice. I don't know whether nice and naive goes together, but those who request it, just be nice. I think they're pretty naive about politics. I used to listen to these guys say, oh, if Trump were just nice. You know, nice ain't got nothing to do with politics. Nice might be okay in church. Might, nice might be okay at the bank. Nice might even be okay when you're writing a traffic ticket. But nice ain't okay in politics. I'm going to tell you that right now. Now, publicly, you can act like you're nice, but you better be a real dirty dog behind the scenes if you want to survive. So I don't know. This is Rodney Long. He, he has now decided, are you ready for this, to request to be redesignated from State Senate District 8 to State Senate District 9. Okay? And he's written the following. I'm going to quote off his letter. To whom it may concern, per the March 8, 2022 memorandum, to all state Senate candidates, I am requesting to be redesignated from state Senate District 8 to District 9 due to redistricting. Thanks in advance. Sincerely, thanks in advance. Huh? Rather clever. Sincerely, I am Rodney J. Long. Senate, state Senate, currently state Senate District 8. Now, 22414 Northeast Northeast 4th Avenue. What is State District 9? State District 9 is Samford. State District 9 is a little bit of Volusia County where he has never one iota moment lived. Now we are pondering what is going through the mind and that's not easy to determine necessarily with Rodney Long. This is the guy who never paid back the black loan uh, and, you know, Sabone let it go. Oh, well, gee whiz, you know, oh, well, gee whiz. That's not my problem. That's their problem with the black loan business. So here we are with, uh, as we know, as I, as I understand it, a report I get from the data investigators, to, to my knowledge, it's never changed. If it has, please correct me. Tell me if he ever paid all those things back. But anyway, I do know that he uses his campaign contributions for something other than making campaign literature, for example, or covering actual campaign. But when one of the don uh, donors to his campaign asked him about it and said, hey, what's going on here? Uh, he said, well, you, you, know, you, know, you know, I've got to look good when I'm out in the public. So your money's being well spent. I guess that's the way his mind works. But that didn't make the donor very happy. So here we have uh, him moving to District 9 in Samford. Samford's got quite a few minorities in it, but, but you, know, you know, he's never lived there. He's never been there. 
So we looked up the law, and when must uh, one Rodney J. Long live in his new district? He must be a resident the day of election. If he's elected in District 9, he has to be living. Now, I don't know what the definition of a resident is anymore. I'm back to my conversation with my good friend who says he's not sure of anything anymore. In Lachua County, people are all screwed up and confused about this. Let's say, as uh, Paula Delaney did, she ran for county commission, but not, but did not live in her district, okay? She lives over there across from the University of Florida Law School. The district, the district, quote unquote, which is a misnomer, the district she lived in, so to speak, because that's, as I say, fudgy, fuzzy also, is down by Bivens Arm on Southwest 13th. So she rented or owned or claimed that to be a residence. Now, you have to understand that according to the Lachua County Charter, residence is different than homestead. Homestead is something you claim is your home for which you get a tax forgiveness. You do not get a tax forgiveness on a residence. So may you ha may have a home and a residence. I mean, you have a residence at the beach. So I guess it's theoretically possible for you to live in Gainesville and run for a state Senate seat as a resident at the beach and claim that's where you reside. You get the language here? You get the language? So she claimed that condo to be her residence. Furthermore, you don't have to claim it until in this Alachua County Charter after you're elected. You have five days, as I recall, you have five days after you're elected. Let's suppose you didn't have a condo. Let's suppose you didn't know if you were going to win. You then can wait until the day of the election. And if you win, run down and rent yourself, whatever, a residence in that district. Just do it within the five-day post-election time. With the state Senate situation, you must do that on the day you're elected. So you wait around as Rodney Long no doubt will, and he will not have a residence. And what constitutes a residence? If I rent you a room, is that a residence? You see, that's a very interesting term, is it not? So I don't know what he's planning. I don't know if he's got some secret load of money down there in, in Senate District 9. I know that that would mean he would not be running against Keith Perry. He doesn't stand the proverbial snowball's chance against Keith Perry. So there you are. What has gone through? Who is advising? You know, his, one of his favorite phrases is, we'll take it under advisement. And I think he's got every angle going as possible. He's a reverend. I've thought about becoming a reverend. I mean, the things I can do as a reverend. My golly, it's almost, imagine me. Hey, I can definitely give you a good sermon, all right? 
I can definitely do that. I can even probably carry a tune in the choir. And I can, I can preside over your baron. I can preside over your marriage. I mean, this really, I thought, come on now, come on. So he's a reverend. He's now going to move and relocate his, his district, if you will, to, hey, Samford, Florida, and that area down there. I don't know what's going on. I just know you're hearing it first right here on the Ward Scott Files. Just a couple of other things to bring up you to date on is today. Well, there have been we had to do a public records request to find this out in the voting irregularity situation here that we uncovered in Alachua uh, County. There have been nine warrants issued. Now, one warrant already picked up the hapless soul who was residing at the time at St. Francis, all right? Now there are nine outstanding arrests. There are warrants, but they haven't found these gentlemen yet. Now, seven won't be hard to find. They're in the Department of Corrections already. Now, those seven are going to, as I understand it, have to be released from the Department of Corrections, Rayford, to come here and stand trial. And that means we're going to get a chance, I would think, unless it's a plea copped, and I imagine that the state attorney will put pressure on them to do so, because if they're not, they're going to have to depose under oath one T.J. Pichet and one Kim Barton, I think. T.J. Pichet, in anticipation of having to be deposed under oath, has already, through his lawyer, introduced a Fifth Amendment plea, which should tell you. The only people I ever knew who took Fifth Amendment pleas, and maybe I'm getting this off Hollywood, uh, was Jimmy Hoffa and guys like that. I never knew anybody who wasn't guilty uh, taking a Fifth Amendment. I, I mean, it, it, I always understood it. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, that if you take a, use a, you're guilty of sin. You just don't want to tell anybody. And that Fifth Amendment protects you from doing it. The only other protection you have is to have a bad memory and not be able to remember where you were the day the log says you were there in the jail. You generally can't get away from that as a young person. But you can. You can claim it. They can't dispute it. Older people do it. Uh, you can't. Uh, Reagan couldn't remember much about the Iran-Contra deal. It was probably true. He later died of dementia. So uh, there, as I understand it, I remember it. So there you are. Um, there are nine more warrants, nine more people to be accosted, except seven are already accosted, and they're in the Department of Corrections custody already. One last thing before we take our break, just a little bit late here, is the voting day, which is the best kept secret unless you're really paying attention for the city of Alachua open commission seat, which Robert Wilford uh, relinquished when he retired, is today, April 12th. So if you live in the city of Alachua, you haven't heard about it, which is quite possible, uh, you need to go out and vote today. It's your only shot at it. I think I've covered everything. Nico Lama Olivia, when I get back, I'm going to talk about America's got a shoplifting epidemic. Have you ever, ever 
realize that? We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files here. Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Cave Studio, Melvin Law, with 50 years of experience. As the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, Melvin Law won't back down. And also my good buddies, Crime Prevention. I worry less with crime prevention security systems by preventing package theft. That's one of the big things that's going on right now. Crime preventions can provide you with a doorbell camera to prevent this if you are experiencing this type of package theft. Contact, contact them today at cpss.net. And also a shout out to Maurice T. McDaniel Law Office, which is taking care of our really fantastic number of hits on our mugshots, 45,000 a month. Maurice McDaniel is a country lawyer in High Springs, former sheriff's deputy, and I believe it was Lake County, Citrus County, really very, very well experienced in the criminal law world. So really appreciate his support for the Ward Scott Files. We're going to be hooking up the phone line here very soon, and we'll be putting out that for a sponsor, which will be most interesting because every time someone calls, I will name your business. So that is the way we are trying to keep you informed as best we can with the latest things that perhaps you're hearing for the first time here. I want to um, share with you right now something that's rather interesting, if you will, about the, well, 
it's in the news quite a bit. This whole gender uh, confusion, identity, whatever you want to call it. It's um, so strange that many people are confused about what's up and maybe up isn't up. Up is really maybe down and down is really maybe up. But or maybe it's a doctor's guess or who in the world knows what is what is going on. But I want to show you. In a moment, we'll show you a video. There is a boss is a teacher of Boston area charter school who revealed to young children she identifies as a male and claimed that when babies are born, doctors can only guess if the baby is a boy or a girl. Um, that's the way it is uh, being presented to these kids. Now, you know, we've stopped that here in Florida through DeSantis, and that's a hue and cry. This has made it out onto Breitbart. I thought you, you might just want to take a look at this and tell me what you think about it. Let's run that for a moment. This uh, teacher is talking to first, second, third grade people here. And something something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. All right. So something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Miss Hammond read, but I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time, that guess is 100% correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. So I'm a man. But when I was a baby, the doctors told my parents I was a girl. And so my parents gave me a name that girls typically have and bought me clothes that girls typically wear. Um, and until I was 18 years old, everyone thought I was a girl. And this was super, super uncomfortable for me because I knew that wasn't right. Um, the way I like to describe it is like wearing a super itchy sweater. Um, the longer you wear it, the itchier it gets. And the only way to make the itching stop is to have everyone see and know the person that you really are. So when I was 18, I told my family and my friends that I'm really a boy. And it was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and I had the freedom to be who I truly am. And even though this experience is super challenging sometimes, um, I am su it made me the person I am and I'm super proud to be transgender. Well, 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 what have we got there? We've got a most interesting situation, do we not? That we've been talking about for a while that I thought we'd play for you since it is banned here in the state of Florida, really. You're not allowed to be going having these conversations with this type of um, um, ch age children. Now, this has been covered by Breitbart. This is a teacher at a Boston area charter school, and it's a first grade teacher who told four, and this is according to Breitbart, who told four and five-year-olds that she's a transgender, presented her sexual identity to the children on identity share Zoom, all consisting of kindergartners, first graders, and second graders. So um, the assistant principal, Shara Hammond, opened the floor to Skylar for her uh, by saying, remember your job during identity share is to be listening really carefully 
so that you learn something new about Mr. Schuyler. I'm confused myself right now. I don't know whether it's Mr. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't know whether it's Mr. Schuyler or it's. Um, I, 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 I just don't know. You know, it's, is it, it's just. Um, Mrs. Schuyler. Anyway, so. According to the conversation here, something that's really cool and unique, and I'm reading from the Breitbart deal, is that I'm a transgender, a female identifying as a male. Now, I'm trying to recall when I was in the, everybody, I guess, at one time has to have been, do you not have been in the first grade or the second grade, or uh, unless you skipped all this. I did skip the second grade, so maybe I missed something. I missed the second, I, I skipped the second grade. So. I apologize, I apologize, I apologize for doing that. I went straight from first grade to third grade and it's, um, it is what it is. I mean, there, there, there it went. And I never heard these conversations. I, 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 don't, I don't know what I would have done if I heard them. I just, it just, it just wouldn't have made any sense to me, I guess. But this is supposedly really quote unquote cool and unique, right? So something is really cool and unique about who I am is that I'm transgender. Now, as nearly as I can tell, that has some falsehoods in it that the doctors don't have to guess about sexuality at birth. Now, if I'm wrong, somebody out there really correct me, but this is the thing um, that this person claims the doctor makes a guess. And if that's where we are in medicine about sexuality, it's all a guess. And we have to start that conversation in kindergarten, first, second, third grade. I'll let you make up your mind. I thought we had to maybe cover that with you to let you know how strange things really, really can get. Um, we've got um, you know, just strange things going on here. The uh, America's shoplifting epidemic, for example, um, we've got a big survey going on now that uh, business.org has done. I guess I'm just going through kind of a kaleidoscope of strangeness here. Um, 700 small businesses found that 54% had an increase in shoplifting. A 23%, this is out of the Wall Street Journal, said it happens daily. Um, CVS drugstore chain. So I'm trying to put all this together with shoplifting, um, an epidemic of, of cost increases now. Um, the, the about eight and a half, eight point eight percent has um, inflation going on, which is the greatest in the last four or five years. I'm trying to put all this together into some sort of uh, continuum and where we're going and what's going to wind up here with being in the selling out point of things. Um, I'm also hearing anecdotally from my workers that it's harder to find quote unquote real workers that think of um, that haven't been somehow affected by the COVID handout, which was uh, all that money given to stay home. Apparently we're just printing money and apparently it just um, uh, is endless and there's nothing really backing it up. And when I see these numbers that are thrown around, say, oh, yeah, over here, uh, we gave so-and-so such a billions and treat. I'm thinking, uh, where is this coming from? Is this coming from 
future generations or who's paying? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same time. I'm an old fashioned guy. Um, I really want to know if, if, if there's something in the piggy bank that you can actually take out of the piggy bank for pay to pay for that, what you bought the um, meanwhile, um, organized retail theft and, and, and uh, um, just outright theft is going on in the country. Um, it's, um, it, it's really strange how it parallels. It, I guess it's not so strange how it parallels the desperate kind of financial situation that looks like we're headed to, where we refuse to drill locally for our own assets. We're, we're stigmatizing anything that has to do with combustion, if you will, fossil fuel. There's a lot of things flying around out there which are really kind of eerie that are going to have to come home, as my grandmother used to say, uh, when the chickens roost and they're going to have to have be accounted for. But I don't know where the counting is going to be when it just seems that you can run run debts and run debts and run debts and uh, politicize the IRS. The, the, the enforcement of the tax code has become deeply politicized. Um, IRS ex expanded Obamacare subsidies um, by the billions uh, of dollars a year beyond what Congress authorized. IRS is overwhelmed uh, from what I can get. There's not enough agents to keep things straight. There's this desperate attempt to find more money from us to pay for all these blank checks that seem to be just pouring out of the coffers to needs that don't have any you know, presentation to them that can be squared up with what you're asking for or what you're given. I thought you had to have a, a, a kind of accounting for all this stuff. Um, there is a, the whole issue of health care and, and uh, whether or not IRS will expand Obamacare subsidies by billions of dollars beyond what Congress has authorized. Um, the big issue here is whether employees offer to provide health insurance to employees, dependents disqualifies those dependents from Obamacare. There are all sorts of glitches and things that are, are going on. And meanwhile, um, who is paying for it all? And meanwhile, is the quality of medical uh, attention deteriorating, which many people tell me because there are few, the doctors are paid less and the requests are more, the, the plus and minus ledger, don't, they don't match up. They don't seem to balance. And yet we keep going on, we keep going on and basically promising things for which we don't have the assets when we promise it and then ticking it on down to future generations. So the, uh, um, really the question of whether in the very beginning of Obamacare, there was an illegal administrative fix uh, that mostly displaced private spending with government spending and displaced employee coverage with subsidized exchange coverage. You know, there, there, I know that one, uh, one local grocery firm that shall remain unnamed here um, uh, cut back full-time people because of this and started loading up with part-time people, which is the way the businesses have been dealing with it. It's, it's, uh, it's tough to, to um, uh, run the books under the rules that the government sets. So the private industry 
really the ones that end up getting hurt are the employees. And the ones I know that would have had a very fine uh, insurance package under their employer, had there not been Obamacare, they would have been full-time employees are now part-time employees and are dependent upon Obamacare, which is basically the only place they can get any kind of health insurance. These are all ticking time bombs that are going on. Meanwhile, according to NPR and Domenico Montanero, we have some real serious races coming up, and I'm gonna run out of time on the Great Reset. I apologize because I intended to talk about the Great Reset. I'm gonna get around to talking about that. And I was intended to talk about yesterday many of the things that I'm talking about today with Obama and the, the, the way in which uh, IRS has been affected and the way in which he's kind of rewritten history. And he's had to step in and cover for Biden. So I'll probably have to come back and cover that tomorrow. But I know that there are some very important, and this is an analysis of what we got coming up in the senatorial races. Now there are predictions that, oh boy, we're gonna swing back to Republican control of the Senate. We're gonna swing back to Republican control of the House. And of course, we'll be stuck with Biden and Harris up there, the two, uh, one of, each of whom, you remember Harris, when she was running, hated Biden. You know, you can't trust these politicians. All, all of a sudden she's tapped by Biden or whoever was controlling the two of them to come in and be the vice president when she had nothing good to say about Biden on the campaign trail. But be that as it may, there's a formula here that she fits. She's a minority. She squeaks by as a minority. And she's also a woman. And so that's going to pull in those votes. And then you've got Biden, who has never seen a topic he can't change his opinion about. He really just ravaged Supreme Court nominees before and accused them of everything but this guy being uh, crooked and then lifted all that to endorse his nominee. He's just really, the un, the un, well, an unseemly definition of a politician in many people's minds. So right now we have some important Senate races coming up. Uh, that is Pennsylvania is one. It is an open seat. It's a seat, it's a state that Biden won. Uh, there is um, going to be an, an important race there. I'm just gonna give you in the time I've got here before we have to go, and I'll pick up what I didn't get today, tomorrow. Um, there is, in Georgia, of course, there is the Democrat incumbent, Warnock. He's running. And uh, that seems to be uh, maybe going to be won by Herschel Walker, a Republican, a black Republican from Georgia, who's also a sports hero. There you are, uh, running against Raphael Warnock, who is... At best, you know, questionable. There's been a lot of clouds around this character. So he's running for his first full term after winning a special election last year. I think that probably Walker stands, well, I can say this safely, a very good chance of winning that, but we'll see. In Nevada, that race hasn't been getting much attention. This is all out of NPR's analysis. Um, the freshman incumbent there has maintained a low profile, a Democrat, Cortez Maestro. Um, but the Republicans really think they have a chance in this race. It's going to be very close. Biden won this state by just over 2% in 2020. 
Um, this Cortez Mastro won it only by about 2% in 2016. So that could possibly be a shift for the Republicans. The Wisconsin race, it has an incumbent Republican, uh, Ron Johnson. He's a close Trump ally. The, the conversation now is whether the blessing of Trump is a, is a boon or a curse. Uh, he's endorsed his uh, Dr. Oz, and Dr. Oz seems to have some liberal qualities to him that some people feel, what is Trump thinking? But we'll have to wait and see whether Trump's endorsement is a boon or a curse. Um, so the um, Biden won Wisconsin in 2020. How he won has always been suspect. We know that. He only won it by about 20,000 votes out of more than 3 million. So um, this approval rating for him in that state is upside down right now. So there's a very good possibility that there will be a Senate Republican there. In Arizona, you have Democrat Kelly that um, had uh, Biden's approval has declined dramatically his rate in Arizona. Biden is really stinking the place up most places. So he's not an asset in endorsing any of these candidates. Pretty clearly, he's not an asset. It's question being questioned whether or not Trump is, but the feeling is if Trump isn't, then Trump's values are. Karl Rove has come out and said that if, 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 if you don't like Trump's endorsement, you know what Trump stands for. His values should be your endorsement. And the values are make America strong. You know, stop, you know, squeezing us off to please some political agenda from the progressive left. So we are going to look at that one. Uh, that's going to be very much interesting. And if it's true, if it can be that it can be swept, Senate and House will have perhaps a radically different, um, hopefully optimistic. Well, the inflation is running at almost 9%. I just had to go up several, well, $20 here and $20 there to some services I have that I use to help run the farm. I don't get that back in the price of cattle. Uh, I don't get that back in a break from the local property tax guys. Now, some of the people I know are just jumping out of Alachua County and going to different counties where the taxing on the land is sensible. And they just bail. They go to Gilchrist. They get out of here. So I'm not getting out of here. I'm, stay, I'm stuck here with financing the fact that 50% of the property in Alachua County is off the tax rolls. And the rest of us have to tote it, if you will. So... The, the Democrats are having an argument about progressivism inside their party because there is this creeping kind of skepticism about whether or not they want to be publicly associated with a Alexander Cortez Ocasio. They don't want to necessarily endorse um, those uh, Muslim ladies. They don't necessarily because they see they're beginning to feel that that might be uh, not an asset at all. In fact, it might hurt them. In New, in New Hampshire, there's a very close race there that needs to be watched. There, North Carolina, uh, uh, Trump has been involved with the North Carolina Republican Senate primary with an early endorsement. Uh, so we'll see how that one goes. That's a very important state. It's a southern state. Ohio, it has been a, a real problem in that it's been run by uh, Democrats or Republicans that are not really Republicans, so to speak. 
uh, that governor, for example, who was critical of Trump, was Republican governor, as I remember it. So the uh, the, the race there is is um, really going to be one to watch. In Florida, you have Rubio, and Rubio should be able to take that. It's a little known fact that Rubio uh, went to Santa Fe Community College. That's uh, the case. He was there. He was one of our students. And in Colorado, of course, we're going to keep an eye on Colorado. Well, I thank you for tuning in today to the Ward Scott Files, and we'll be continuing to try to bring you the best product. I promise you I will get to the Great Reset as soon as I possibly can. It's very interesting. Thanks for all of you. I don't know about audio dropping out. I don't know if, if production, did you know that production? Did you know that they were having trouble with audio? There are no issues on our end. So I don't know what to tell you all. We do of course record this, should be solid audio. We'll check it and we'll uh, be out on, of course, we've been over on YouTube live right now. We'll also be on, on the other platforms that we're uh, traditionally on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, a couple other places too. So um, don't know about the audio thing. Thanks for uh, letting me know. In the future, when we have a phone line, you can call in and tell us. But we don't catch it here. It didn't seem to be that way for us. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.